as a facilitator or a learning designer, your stories connect you and your subject to your audience. And they are, you could say, about you, but not for you. And that's something that today's guest, Hadia Nuruddin, told me when we first spoke. Hadia is a storytelling expert, and she speaks at national conferences on learning and development topics, specifically storytelling, for facilitators, people like you and me. And Hadia has written a book on the subject called Story Training, Selecting and Shaping Stories That Connect. And this is a book published by the ATD, or the Association for Talent Development. Hadia has loads to share with you in today's episode to help you use the power of storytelling in your next training or workshop. So in today's episode one, how to build a story spine that works, what to do to create a storytelling environment, why meaning really matters in your storytelling, how to get better at getting stories from people so they feel comfortable telling their own stories in your workshop, in your training, why stories create headlights, not spotlights, and I'll leave that to Hadia to explain, and what to do with storytelling in mind to generate a better response in facilitation. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. Hi, my name is Mark. I'm the host of the Training Business Podcast. This is the weekly show for people like you, for people like me, for people out there in the business of training. Whether you're a trainer or a facilitator, a mentor, a coach, you work as an organizational psychologist, but you make money from helping other people and their teams to be the best that they can be. And the goal of this episode and every episode of the show is the same every week, every Thursday, in fact. It's to help you to start to grow and to scale your business. Now, I said before the music that we have a guest today, and her name is Hadia Nuruddin. She's based in Chicago. She runs a company called DuetsLearning.com. And the reason Hadia's on the show is because she's written a very important book called Story Training, And this is where today she's going to explain to you and to me the importance of great storytelling for facilitators and trainers, people like you and me, and how to do it, what framework to use, and how to craft stories in a way that has real, real impact. Hadia, hi, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Mark. So you run Duets Learning in Chicago, which is where you're speaking to us today. Um, what is Duets Learning over clients? Whom do you serve and why? Well, our primary services are instructional design, primarily in the e-learning space. As of late, I find a lot of companies tend to outsource e-learning um, more than instructor-led, it seems, at least in my case. So I focus there and I also um, develop courses too. I also have um, uh, clients who come to me for learning strategy which means that sometimes they don't even know where to begin. They're not even at the design stage yet. They're trying to think of wisely. So how are we going to roll this out? How are we going to sustain this over time? How, how can we make sure it meets its target? So I also deal in that space too. And I do a little facilitation. Um, 
I really focus on facilitation for topics that I know very well. I don't really, I say I'm, I'm retired when it comes to doing it for clients. I make sure I know the topic inside and out and uh, facilitate there. But yeah, it's mostly building courses for a variety of audiences as, um, or industries as well. I'm sort of agnostic in that way and I don't, I don't stick to a specific industry. Um, but um, I work, I've recently been in a nonprofit loop, as I call it, or association loop, where I work with a lot of associations and nonprofit organizations who get grants and, um, you know, want to develop learning for their cause. And it's been great. It's been a lot more, um, I mean, it's all meaningful, but it's certainly nice to um, develop training for social justice issues or um, self-discovery issues and um, things of that sort. And what you're particularly well known for is your book, which is story training. Why did you write that book? Well, you know, writing a book was always sort of that one true thing, that the one thing I knew I was going to do and wanted to do. I didn't really know what topic until it was presented to me that there was an opportunity to write a book on storytelling. That wasn't the topic I thought I would write about. But then when um, I started doing it and started doing research, I realized that even though there's many, many books on storytelling, there are very few, if any, on storytelling and actually facilitating learning, actually being up in front of a room and having to extract a story from the top of your head and tell it in a way that's going to encourage others to tell their stories. It's is such an incredible art and science to be able to do that. And I think sometimes facilitators, we take it for granted. It's certainly people who don't facilitate who are in the room take it for granted that we can automatically do that really well. But it's, um, it's a struggle to do that. And some, for some of us, it comes naturally. Um, sometimes we tell people, um, facilitators will tell stories that are um, either too long, too self-involved, just focus on themselves, or really just to hear their own voice. <laughs> Um, and so my book really tries to focus on, you know, again, creating a using stories to one promote learning, but also to create an environment where other people feel comfortable sharing their stories. Now, I'm sure people listening to this will think, well, hang on a sec. I, I tell stories. I know how to tell stories, but that's not necessarily the case. We, we may convey information relating to something that we've, we've done in the past, something we've experienced, but stories have more meaning than just autobiographical retelling, right? Um, so if we want someone to, listening to this to think or rethink or think again about why they need to tell stories and do it in the right way, what would you say is your reason that trainers need to tell great stories, better stories, and more stories? Yeah, you know, they're the, the type of stories that we tell at barbecues that we tell our friends are more testimonies. <laughs> you know, they're more straightforward retelling of events. So I'm not going to go as far and say, I'm not a purist in that way and say that's not a story. But I will say for our purposes as learning and development professionals, um, we are focused on stories of transformation. That's really the whole point. So if your story is not reflecting a change, then it is not the type of story that's going to help anyone. So usually people focus on the end state. I'm already on the other side of the river. Things are great over here. Come on over. 
But what people are stuck on the other side because they don't know how to cross that river. So we tend to ignore that part. One, maybe because it's uh, we forgot. And a lot of am- really ambitious people, they just think I got into the water and went across it. That's how I got to, to the other side. And trying to get them to see, actually, you probably did come against some obstacles because First of all, I always say that if you remember it happened, you may have messed around and learned something, right? So if you remembered it, then it's probably something that that changed in you. And it did. It maybe didn't change that day, but um, maybe when you f- reflect back on it and think, yeah, I didn't. I really sort of downplayed that event a little bit, but now I see um, that there were obstacles ahead of me, and there were reasons I didn't do it earlier. There was a reason I did it then. That's the heart of the story. So I always say it's not the being here, it's the getting here that matters. So if you are telling stories and you know to re-inter- sort of interrogate your style, just think about where where's the focus? Is the focus just on what was your intent in, of telling this story? Um, is your intent to um, just communicate more about yourself and, and who you are? That's fine, but don't think that people are going to necessarily gain anything from that other than exactly what your intent is, is just to know that you're awesome, not necessarily to know that um, what you did and how they can mimic that behavior to get to the other side. So we're kind of distinguishing between kinds of stories or the times to tell stories. So what you've alluded to is perhaps what many people do and perhaps ought to do more of, which is to create the context. What gives me the right to train you or to facilitate this workshop, this program? So we do need to tell some kind of story that provides a reason why you should listen to what I'm saying. Yeah, you know, I you know, I, I kind of go back to, again, what is your uh, approach and your philosophy towards training? There are some that would argue is that it's not necessarily that you have to earn the right to be in the room other than the fact that you're saying that we're all in the same boat here and we're here to learn from one another. It's not that I have this vast experience. I have, I'm an expert in my own experience with this. Obviously I have a leader's guide and understand the topic, but when it comes to that, I really understand what's happening um, with you and what your experiences are. The point of this is to say all of our experiences are value are valuable, and I'm sharing my experience. And my model is not necessarily so much um, do these exact things that I did because the circumstances could be different. But the model is that I'm sharing a certain vulnerability, a certain um, uh, experience with you, and I'm show- telling you what my journey was, so that you can see one that I'm willing to share that with you. And that how my context and the situation that I was in influenced that journey. Now, I want you to do the same. I want you to feel comfortable doing that. So I don't want to establish myself necessarily as this expert that sort of needs to earn the right to be here. But I do want to ex- uh, you know, establish myself as a person who gets it, a person who has been in your shoes or similar to those. And I want you to feel more comfortable sharing rather than more comfortable just sort of acquiescing to my knowledge. Get it. So there, there, are, there are two points there. On the one hand, we do want to establish why, I'm, although I'm like you, I, I'm slightly apart in the sense that I have achieved X results. I've written a book on the subject, in your case, or I've made these achievements, uh, these things happen, which you might aspire to. So there has to be some element of 
of what Cialdini, the the, the author of the book, uh, the Influ- the psychology of influence of persuasion, he talks about authority as being a principle, meaning that if 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 I want you to give me a couple of hours of your time, it has to be clear what gives me the right to to be the person leading this particular workshop. But the second point you've just made is very valid too, which is that there has to be some kind of shared experience. And the more I'm able to relate to where you are right now, to be vulnerable, strategically vulnerable, uh, more human, the more you're going to want to open up and and sort of make this training, this facilitation uh, helpful for everyone, influential, useful. Yeah. And the kind of story that you tell, of course, makes a difference. I mean, you have the social proof or the visible proof that you survived this, whatever this situation is, you survived and feel comfortable enough, um, you know, talking about it and saying, this is what I learned from that. Um, I get concerned when storytellers really just want to focus on, I want them to know that I was very successful in this and that they should know that they should listen to me because I'm super successful in this. You know, I, when I facilitate, I just want to make clear, you know, obviously I, you know, just through the anecdotes that I give and when they ask questions, you throughout the course, throughout the course, I feel like you establish, um, that, um, that validity. Um, and I'm just thinking back, I went to a presentation, this was probably a year ago. I was presenting to that day. Luckily she went before me and she was, um, she spent at least 10 minutes, um, just talking about don't discount me just because I'm young. These are all the things I accomplished. I deserve to be in this room. And I'm, and I hope that like, what, (laughs) you know, that's not necessarily how you do it. I know it sounds a little bit needy, you know, absolutely. But it seemed like it was that, that let me know that your focus is not necessarily on me growing as much as this on you establishing yourself as an authority. And these examples that you're giving us in the form of stories are really about you and not about my growth. So yeah, it's a line you have to walk and just throughout the course, I think it's when you can establish that. But yeah, it's well taking that they, at the same time, they didn't pay money to hear from an old buddy, you know, who, you know, hear more stories from a, a person who's also a private, you know, they didn't, they paid money, you know, to hear from someone who has walked the talk and uh, has have lived this. So yeah, it's a line to walk, but I think there's a variety of ways to do it. Yeah. I'm minded of uh, someone who was a guest on the show last year, a guy called Ben Hunt Davis, and he's a former uh, gold medal, uh, Olympic gold medal winner for Team GB in rowing. Uh, I used to row. And um, he, he dines out on that story because, I mean, who doesn't want to hear the story of how someone trained and won an Olympic medal? So there's a fine line between storytelling to make yourself feel bigger and better and important and storytelling to create... Um, I suppose, a sense of commonality in the room. But then there's also storytelling to convey information. So I'm thinking of reasons why we all naturally connect with stories. Think of Goldilocks, Aesop's fables, any kind of mythology uh, from the culture you, you have, wherever you're from in the world. These are all vehicles for meaning. And often they are parables. They're lessons or training wrapped up in a story. And the second reason that comes to my mind that stories suit training and facilitation is that stories help people to feel emotion. And when people are in a higher emotional state, uh, there's more likely to be greater relation to you and them, between you and them, uh, greater realization of why they need to to learn and improve. And often that's the trouble is that people, they go through a training session and don't want to use it 
after the session. They don't see the need to. So if we can use a story to relate to why this information will help them to Im- or achieve transformation, that's valuable. And the third reason, I think, is that if we tell stories, they're more likely to be retained, aren't they? Because the brain is just wired for stories. So we can we can adapt stories as trainers, as facilitators to suit the audience. So if it's a resilience workshop, we can tweak the story to suit that audience or a leadership workshop or a program. We can we can modify the training to to suit listeners. Now you say that um, the best storytellers are meaning makers. I love that. What, what's the what's the thinking behind that phrase? Storytellers, the best storytellers are meaning makers. Um. <clears throat> well, I always say that a good storyteller is a reflective person. I don't think there's any way to get around it. And we may think we're reflective, but we're actually discouraged from being that way. It's, you know, move on, don't dwell. And, you know, you don't want to ruminate and obsess over the past. But if something happens and or something happened in the past to actually sit there and think, what could this all mean? How is this connected to that? And not that you, you know, some people do it through journaling. Some people are intentional about it. But um, many people are automatically that way and sort of think, what's the lesson here? <laughs> what am I? And maybe it may not come for years from now. But they take time to pay attention to their lives and really consider how has this event changed me? How has it changed the people around me? And um, I always sort of think when you are considering those types of stories to think, you know, first of all, um, how what happened is sort of that first layer and sort of get through the steps of what happened and think, how did I feel about what happened? And sometimes there's a little retroactivity in that um, you don't know how you felt at eight but you sort of knew who you, what kind of person you were and how you may have felt, or you may be, it may be very clear to you now um, how you felt at eight years old about what happened X, Y, Z, or it could be, you know, something that happened the other day and it's just too soon to know, but knowing how you feel about something. But I think that's something that really broadens it out is to think about how did others experience what happened? And I find that when I think about that, um, you know, again, it's, you know, you're guessing a little bit because you don't necessarily know, but I find that that really brings out a richer experience when I sit and think, I never really thought about, you know, how my mother could have been affected by that or how my boss could have been affected by that. And it just sort of deepens the story. So it's just making meanings between Um, You're making connections between the events that happen in your life and thinking how it all connects to the larger picture. And, you know, this isn't just for you to, you know, sit around and do, you know, the the purpose of this is that when we are facilitating, usually that's what we're trying to get people to do is to make connections, right? To make the connections between um, their behavior as a manager and how that's going to affect other people. Right? I mean, we're telling them to do that. So when we look up stories and we sort of think about, we look up the stories of our lives and really think about um, how we can instruct people to do that, we have to do it as well. And that requires being reflective and making meaning of the events that shaped you. And then we can choose the correct story or the appropriate story at the appropriate juncture in that program to introduce it. Because not all stories are equal, are they? I mean, there it's some stories we want to get people uh, perhaps slightly annoyed, maybe to to focus on something as being something that needs to be addressed immediately. So stories can call people to action. 
And stories can mollify people to placate them, to make them feel, you know, things aren't so bad. So stories can be an emotional roller coaster. We need to put some thought into which stories are appropriate. And, and as you say, meaning means bringing things to life. Or at least I say that. <laughs> well, one thing that um, always comes to mind for me is, and I write this in the book, that the purpose of the story doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the listener because they're not really hearing what you're saying. They are filtering what you're saying through their own experience. So the story doesn't just become what you live. The story is now you telling what you lived, right? So that becomes their stories that they were in the room listening to this. And so that's why you want to have all this storytelling uh, you know, techniques so that you can create an experience where it comes to mind. However, you need an intent. That is the thing that you are, um, that you need to pay attention to and think, yeah, I mean, because we've all told stories where the intent was to look one way or to have people believe one thing and they get something completely different from it. And we're like, just let me finish the story. Okay. <laughs> or we're just trying, that's not what I meant. You couldn't possibly get that from the story that I told because it's none of your business what they got from the story, right? They That purpose belongs to them. As soon as you open your mouth and tell the story, it no longer belongs to you. It belongs to the person who heard it, that version of the story. And they are filtering through all the things that they've experienced and do this journey of uh, facilitating a story and putting a special emphasis on it since I've written the book. I've been surprised <laughs> at that. It's some of the stories that I've chose to tell and some of the feedback that I've gotten have, has turned up. And I'm like, that you couldn't have possibly thought that I meant that, <laughs> you know, but people do. And I have to, you know, you have to, has to, you have to make a decision. Do I not tell that story anymore? Do I tweak the story or do I just say, well, that's the point. The point is that this person is going to take this story in um, through their own experience. Um, I have this one example where um, there was a period of my life where I had multiple jobs. And um, when I tell that story to people, it shocks me how what a visceral an offense, offended reaction people sometimes have to that. But you want that, don't you? I mean, that's why you tell that story. Well, actually, no, because in my mind, where I grew up, that is just as that is as American as apple pie. Having multiple jobs is not even the story. It's not even that this that's that's sort of the vehicle to get to the real story. But for some people, they couldn't imagine working two jobs. They couldn't imagine that because their own experience doesn't allow them to conceptualize that a person would need two jobs. And so they they don't even hear this my real story which was sort of why, I, you know, what growth I had or whatever. They don't, they're focused on this fact that I committed this ethical breach in their mind of having, and I, I get shocked by that. So that's what, uh, you know, as one of the things I talk about really sort of proved my point about the difference between intent and purpose. You know, my intent was to just talk about growth or to talk about um, being overwhelmed and feeling vulnerable and, you know, all of these things. And they were just like, how could she do that? <laughs> she worked two jobs, you know. So yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing, interesting dynamic there. So one of the techniques you have in your book is called the story spine. 
what is the story spine and how does someone listening to this as a facilitator use this as a framework to craft or create a story? Well, the story spine was something I um, came across when I was looking more closely into story structure. Um, and um, I learned about story structure. I actually have a master's in writing, which is where I sort of learned, officially learned all of these structures. And a big one is the hero's journey. Um, and, you know, the hero's journey is, is long and expansive and, and, and complicated, I would say. It involves a lot of different people a lot of, in a lot of different roles. Um, and so there's a lot of different variations, shortened variations of the story spine. And one of those that's similar to that is called the, um, the story spine. And um, it is actually it was actually created by um, someone named Ken Adams, who was a or is a director of um, improv. So it's used very commonly in improv, mostly because it's so easy to remember. That's improvisation comedy for people wondering what improv means. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, one of the reasons why, um, because, you know, they have to come up with things off the top of their head is because it does focus on this transformation that this is this is the world that that we're in right now something occurred to shake things up and now we're on the other side of that and that is the transformation so this story spine has a couple of different elements to it it's a series of prompts and um, i use it in a variety of ways um, one way is obviously to to make sure that my story has the elements that it needs to have but also i use it as an interviewing techniques to talk to subject matter experts um, when I'm designing a course to get stories from them. And, and so it starts with um, once upon a time. And you don't have to say once upon a time. I get that question a lot. But the, <laughs> idea, the idea is that it's just the, it's the beginning of the story. You are introducing the characters in the setting. People cannot detect the change if they don't know where you started. And that's one of the issues with people telling stories about heroics, about being on the other side of that river. If I don't know where you came from, like if I don't know where you started, then I don't know how impressed to be with your <laughs> with your journey, right? So s- establishing that ordinary world in the talk of the hero's journey, they call it the ordinary world um, of what that is. So you are you know saying what that is, and then you are giving us what the next prompt is every day, and you're giving us a sense of what it was like in that um, in that ordinary world. So people can just get a sense of where we're coming from. And then after that, you get the next prompt is but one day. And that is what um, a lot of um, what writers call the inciting incident. It's the thing that changed everything. Now, what's hard about this is that um, usually we have to learn something over and over again. Right? We keep walking into the same wall over and over again. So it's not always this one event that comes down that changes everything. Um, but many times there is in a, in a sequence of events that one thing that kicked everything off, that one, your, your manager who said something to you that you didn't expect, your, your employee who um, did something that you didn't expect, or you who did something that you didn't expect. Um, it's that one incident that now pushes you over the threshold and you're never to, to return the same again. And um, so it disrupts the ordinary world and pushes you over that threshold. And then after that, you have a sequence of events that um, are come as a direct result of that inciting incident. And it's just a series of because of that. 
in the standard form, there's three um, because of that. Um, but you can use as many as you need. And people say, how many? Like, you, you will know um, when to stop. But ultimately, you know, you had this event that happened and then some things happened be- because of that event, right? So as soon as I took that step, um, because of that, I was able to um, uh, tell my manager how I really felt about getting, being sort of punished for my good work by getting more and more assignments, right? And then because of that, um, he was able to um, change my schedule so that I didn't feel um, as overwhelmed. And because of that, um, I was able to have more confidence in my work and, and feel like I was able to do a, a better job. And then the, la- the next one is until finally. And so until finally you have this culmination point and you say, and then finally I realized um, that being communicative was something that um, really saved me in this space instead of holding it in by actually telling him what my struggles were. I was able to see some action. And then finally, it's ever since then. And that ever since then is um, what are you going to do from, from now on? How has that permanently changed you? And so ever since then, when I'm feeling burned out or I'm feeling um, in, in various aspects of my life, not just work, even in my personal life, ever since then, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, I have learned that you have to talk to someone about it. You have to find ways to ease your burden or else you will drown. Right. So it kind of just walks you through what was the world like? I, you know, I was I was overworked then I finally, you know, burned out. I maybe bombed a project. Then I was able to talk to my manager and say it's because I'm completely overwhelmed. And then the growth that comes from that. And so by just following this, it sort of forces you into fork and into um, considering what the transformation was. Okay, so I've counted six steps altogether, um, if I've got this correctly. Once upon a time, which is where we set the context, uh, it's the starting point in the journey where you are, we're at that point in time. Every day then is the next part, that's step number two. Um, so that kind of almost clarifies what the problem was. But until but one day, and this is what some people might call the inflection point, this is now all of a sudden this this learning, this realization, this flash in the mind, this eureka. And then the next number four is because of that. This is now where you introduce perhaps a string of because of that's, which clarifies in the audience's mind the benefits of this learning, this realization. And then until finally is number five. Until finally, I then realized X, Y, Z, whatever that is. This is your breakthrough. And ever since then is your step number six, and this is where you clarify how this event has changed me, what I do now and what I've learned. In other words, calling to action the audience and saying, make this journey with me. Right. This is how this changed me. I, you know, I would definitely would say that for the because of that, though, it's not necessarily the benefits. It's, it doesn't have to be good things that happened at all. It's just really staying focused on how one event tied to another. And this is, I think, crucial because I know that when I tell stories often, you know, I'm the type of person who's like, did I tell you what happened to me the other day? 
wait, did, wait, is it, what was that? Was that Tuesday? No, I was off Tuesday. And then I was, and then, you know, you just sort of get. Stop interrupting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just go on. No, you're interrupting yourself. You're like, cause you, you can't stay focused on this event and you keep getting, you know, derailed over and over again. What this does is it makes you stay um, connected to the events that came before it. And I think that's an important thing because that happens a lot when you're working with subject matter experts. You know, they have all of this knowledge and they want to keep introducing all of these caveats. It's like, no, wait, when the customer came in and was rude to the cashier, what did the cashier do then at that moment? And then what happened as a result of that? Right. So um, it, it keeps them sort of along that golden thread of narrative so that we can be sure that all these events are being connected together. So it sounds like storytelling has now multiple purposes. We we can introduce ourselves, provide some context, some kind of authority. We can use a story to create a relationship between or vulnerability between us and the audience. We can use a story to convey information uh, using this arc, as some people call it, or the story spine, once upon a time, every day, but one day because of that, until finally, ever since then. Um, and in this point, we can invite people to join us by by seeing in themselves almost the need to to make these changes. So we can tell stories in a way that connect people between us and them or connect us to them, vice versa, but also connect them with the state that they desire to be in. And if I've done a good job of training people, they don't just train, they want to be trained, they want to learn, they want to make that transformation. One thing that I want to stress, um, that I always stress is that Stories are just carriers, right? I think a lot of people see a story as the solution to something that I could tell a story and that would be interesting. No, a story is not inherently interesting or inherently useful. You have to put the work into what is your intent and the story carries that purpose. So just like what you said, it has all these different purposes. You have to really focus more on that, that intent more than I'm going to tell this wonderful lyrical story. Focus on that intent because that's what really matters. That's what comes first, and then shape it into a story. Um, because I think it's interesting when, and I think uh, people will say, "Well, of course, that goes without saying." I don't think so. We don't really talk about it in that way. We just talk about storytelling. Well, you know, if if you don't have your intent straight, if you don't know what your goal is, if you don't know the you know, how you intend to move people and get action out of people, then it's very um, difficult to say this story is going to do anything at all. Um, and then you say you've got some principles. Um, you have to be comfortable putting yourself on the line so that others are comfortable putting themselves on the line too. So you almost have to go first here. You've got to be comfortable sharing your authentic, vulnerable self um, before you can get other people to feel comfortable sharing their real selves and stories and experience with you? Yeah, you know, I think that they, well, I mean, so I do stress though that um, what you owe the world is authenticity more than emotion. So I believe I'm a storytelling advocate, but I'm also a self-care advocate. And I don't necessarily feel like you owe the world 
a breakdown and a bunch of emotion, but you definitely owe them authenticity. And those things are intertwined with one another often, but not, but not always, but strive for that rather than I have to add all this emotion. Um, you know, just be real and, and talk about what's real. And just like we are as the facilitator, we're always setting the tone. You're setting the tone for that as well. Um, you are, um, you know, telling people you can just say this is a safe space all day. But if you don't act like it's a safe space, if you don't risk anything, then why should they? I mean, you know, you are definitely setting the tone. They're going to follow your lead in that regard. Um, and I think the other important point here is that you're not just telling stories to entertain people. You're not just telling stories to, oh, we'll make this interesting by telling. No, you're telling stories so you can create an environment where people are willing to share as well. Because when you're in a room full of often strangers, you don't know their stories. And and this isn't just, again, for, for giggles. You you need those stories in order to facilitate, right? Because you need to know who you're talking to and what they've been through. You need to be able to you know, curve the curriculum at a moment's notice based on what the people in the room are saying. And you won't get that if they don't feel free to share that. And the final thing you, you've said to me when we first spoke was this, don't think spotlight, think headlight. Stories aren't for performance, as you've said, we're not there necessarily to entertain people. So stories don't have to become a, a platform for jokes. We can certainly find other ways to amuse people, but um, they're to show the way forward. Is that what you mean by think headlight, not spotlight? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I thought about that because that's some of the pushback I get from people who don't want to tell stories is that they feel like I, you know, it's about them. It's about them in the room. It's not about, you know, it's, it's, it's not about me at all. So I don't want to tell stories um, because I don't want to share this and I don't want to, it's not about people interrogating you under this bright spotlight. You know, the whole purpose of it is to show the path forward. And I find that just changing that thinking often just changes how you tell the story, what you feel about the story. Um, you know, so it's, it's interesting because sometimes what that makes me do when I think that way is a story that I was going to tell that I thought was super entertaining all about me. I find myself, sometimes I don't even get through the whole story because I decide that I'm going to include them in the story. So I was in XYZ situation. What do you think happened next? What would you do in that situation? You know, why, you know, why do you think I thought that? Why do you think he said that to me? You know, so before I even, you know, we've already been so, we're all so involved when they're pulling in their own experiences with this story that sometimes I don't even, I don't even get through it, but that's sort of the point. The point is for me to engage in this, you know, the spirit of vulnerability of sharing that, yeah, I failed at this. Um, and all stories not to be about failure, obviously, but either uh, this happened I want you to walk, let's walk through this together. And so that you can see what I did and what you would do differently. Cause that's really the, the point of this is so that we can all come out on the other side with a greater understanding of the possibilities of, of what could happen. So that's a last great point then that uh, stories also are useful for application. It's uh, creating context of how the training can be used and applied. And this is often why great workshops have case studies which we can almost see ourselves reflected in 
those case studies, particular management situations or leadership situations or some kind of situation where we can almost see how this would be applied. So stories don't necessarily have to be true. I mean, we're not saying that stories are there to, to you know, contain a mistruth, but we can use stories as a framework or a conduit or a model to show how something can actually be brought to life, can be applied. Well, my um, philosophy around truth is that nothing is true. <laughs> oh, <laughs> talk about ending on a controversial statement. <laughs> Um, you only see things from your perspective. You don't know fully what happened. All you can do is tell the truth as you know it. It is your truth. Always know that it is not the objective truth. I'm sure that someone could come up with an example that's absolutely objectively true. However, you know, I could tell a story that is, uh, you know, very personal about, you know, getting fired and, I've, I got fired because of this. And it was, do you really know why you got fired, right? I mean, this is what's true for you and how you experienced it. So I always say that to say, free yourself from those shackles of feeling like, you know, uh, the story that I tell has to be objectively true because you won't get there because there's too many different perspectives that you would have to include to get to the honest truth. Just know that you are focusing on your story, which is why I encourage people to tell your story, not other people's stories. You are focusing on your story. You are focusing on what's true for you. And um, that's really the goal. But certainly when it comes to your own story, that part has to be completely authentic. We're not saying make stuff up here because uh, that won't sell, that won't work. Um, if you're talking about your personal experience, your achievements, you have to be completely honest. Uh, saying you wrote a book when you haven't written a book, is that's, that's false, right? Going on the honor system here that the people listening to this aren't con artists, but exactly. <laughs> um, but um, I'm sort of getting to this this um, idea of I would say one 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 thing that people maybe I would say lapse on the truth, but lapse on authenticity could be um, just re retroactively saying how you felt about something. To me, I think those are the things that uh, people so such and such lie about, you know, that something happened 10 years ago, and yet you had this epiphany 10 years ago, well, you didn't have this epiphany, you probably you maybe you did, but you may have. So it was those types of sticky things that, you know, people sort of um, obsess over, uh, you know, a little bit when it comes to what's true and what's not true. I do think that there's that other element of trying to speak for other people that I was fired for this reason. When you never really, that manager never really told you why you were fired, but in your mind, you feel like this is why you were fired. And so it, is, it may not be true at all. That's, that's why you got, but it is true that you have to say, I believe I got fired for this. That is the, that is your truth. But to state, I got fired for this reason. And you don't really know that, you know, that's where, you know, truth and authenticity get sort of mixed up. But, it, you know, it depends on your, your intent. Like, you don't want to dwell you know, too much on that. But I think those are the those are the tough questions when it comes to what's true. Yeah, we're not going to end on the note of people being fired. <laughs> that's perhaps, um, <laughs> but, but stories are such a powerful medium. And, and it's something we should all as facilitators, even as coaches, we, we can tell great anecdotes, stories, parables which do so many things on so many levels, not just convey information logically, but also emotionally. So where can people find out more about you, Hadia, and, and, and your book? 
Well, um, my book um, is called Story Training, sold where, sold where all books are sold on Amazon. Um, I, my website is duetslearning.com, um, where you can find out about my services. I do have a page dedicated to the book and storytelling resources and some um, workshops. And I talk about it a lot at different um, conferences, different podcasts, different videos um, where um, I can be found. Luckily, um, my name is pretty unique. So if you get the spelling right, <laughs> Giannurin on Google, you'll be able to find a plethora of stuff. But mostly it's um, housed at my website, duetslearning.com. That's D-U-E-T-S learning.com. Yeah, as in two people singing. Mm. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. Uh, Hadia, thank you so much for being my guest today on the show. Thank you, Mark. A huge thank you to Hadia for being my guest today on the show. You can find out more about Hadia by connecting with her on LinkedIn. That's Hadia Nuruddin. And you can find Hadia's website under www.duetslearning.com. That's D-U-E-T-S learning.com. And lastly, you can find Hadia's book, Story Training, on a range of bookstores. And thanks to you for your time today for tuning in to this episode of the Training Business Podcast. There are many great podcasts out there. I know that because I listen to them too. But you've chosen to listen to this one today. And for that, I'm very, very grateful. Can I ask you please to subscribe right now to the podcast on your platform of choice? There is no cost to you for doing this, but there's a huge benefit to the show because it helps us to recommend the show to people in the business of training people just like you and me. You've got some great ideas for episodes and content. I know that because I receive them every single week. So please keep those coming to me. I read them individually and respond personally. And my email address is mark at trainingbusiness.com. You can subscribe to the show, as I said, and there's a fresh episode of the show every Thursday. Therefore, again, next Thursday, and you'll find the show on a range of podcast platforms, including Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and many, many more. Until next week, until next Thursday, look after yourself, keep safe, and keep training. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.